0: Well, hello, this is Toby Haydoke's Who's Round, after a fashion. I lost an interview this morning. We have three Doctor Who stories left to cover. I lost an interview this morning, but... That means by a wonderful coincidence, I'm covering story number three with not one but two of its contributors who happened by coincidence to be lunching together today. And my cancelled interview means I've been able to take advantage of both of them. So I'm going to ask them to tell me who they are and why I'm talking to them about Doctor Who.
1: Well, I'm Dorka Nirajic and I was makeup designer on nine of the Doctor Who stories. June
2: Hudson... Costume designer for eight, so Dorka has bitten me by
0: one. <laughs> but you both worked uh, You both worked on The Leisure Hive, which was one of the stories I was missing uh, and quite desperate to cover. So why don't we start there, as it's on the telly in front of us, uh, which is a great synthesis of both of your work. Um, uh, yellow robes for the Argolin and sort of yellowy-greeny faces and head and
1: hair. So yeah. Dorka,
0: why don't you start us off?
1: Well, um, The Leisure Hive was my first... Doctor Who story that I covered and it was at, at a time when I think it was probably the, the second or perhaps the third production that I had ever done as a designer so it was quite a challenge um, the wonderful thing was to be given a, a program that was to for children and therefore I knew that because it was going to be for children I could do anything i wanted because children have a wonderful imagination and you could be as bizarre and as out, outrageous as you wanted and children would go with it they would accept it um, as long as it went with the story and everything so it gave you a huge opportunity to, to try out things that you know people who had pods on the top of their heads and dropping their, the, the the pods the seeds and everything well for an adult they'd go nobody has that But because it was for children, you could be as imaginative as you wanted, and I love that.
0: And you see, you obviously must have worked very closely together to get a uniform look.
2: Yes, yes. I always worked very closely with makeup, and Dorker and myself have been friends now for many years. I always enjoyed working enormously working with Dorca. Um Yes, we the it's essential certainly with Doctor Who because of course the prosthetics and the face and the hair it it, it is a complete image. It is a a full image, and we work together very closely mm. on this one. I mean, the Leisure Hive, the sunlit golden world of the Argolins. Um, I hit on yellow, be- and I also hit on robes because I thought, well, they're certainly not going to do anything but drift about in these lovely yellow robes. And Dorker. Well, for the- me, it
1: was the fact that um, in the story they are. Um, I, f- I felt that they were almost like plants. They were people, but they were they were o- they were organic. Like um, so, therefore, the we we had the the green hair. Going, so it looked as if it was growing out of the... But it wasn't necessarily made of hair. It was these, were these people on this planet who had... They, it doesn't necessarily mean that they were the same kind of hair that humans had. but And that's why it went up in waves. And it was green because that's part of the plant-like... The fact that they have the pods. And the idea was that gradually as Nina, who's the, the mm. mother, as she ages, so her colours become autumn... Of the so it was gradually you saw the wig that she became and she becomes she dries out like a leaf and so you see the older um, Argolians they they become um, latex we put the latex on their faces to look as if all the the, the youth is being drawn out just like a leaf um, and that was the whole idea and and gradually but of course it was difficult to show this story within the time but I would have liked it that. They drop the, the the seeds from the from their headdress, so that if when they're young, it's a full head cone of of seeds. Mm. But gradually, as they get older, so they lose the seeds, and and therefore you then know that it's time for them. So that when Mina then dies, it's because her time is up. Mm. Her lifespan has. Oh, that has, that
0: does definitely come across yeah. you because you do get the, yeah, the seeds growing up. and of course we off. had
1: Pangal, who's her son, mm. and he's he's very different from. He is still an Argolian, but you know that there's slightly something different about him, and he's got this black marking within his beard and everything, and that was meant to be the metal, because he's actually he's the son the of the generator. Brilliant. And so therefore, he's got to be something that... It's not obvious that he's different, but there's something you go, hold on, he's slightly different because of just those markings, and it's not because he's the son of Mina, um, but it's because he's the son of the generator. That bring, that's the metallic part of him um, and that's why I did those, those little differences. Brilliant.
0: Um, well and, and also I mean the differences as well is of course for June you, um, uh, you, you are introducing a different look for, for Tom Baker and we were just talking over lunch how you had a sort of dilemma what yes. to change, well, what to keep was, the same.
2: Yes, yes indeed. I mean that was the first production I did. Um, where the change of costume came into being mm. I was asked to design a completely different costume for Tom Baker to transform Doctor Who in fact and this was a, a wonderful opportunity for a designer and Tom was kind enough to say he would wear anything I designed which I was immensely moved by because I thought that was fantastic and I had uh, one very big decision to make and that was a scarf. Um, I. I mean, like most designers, it was supposed to be a new costume, a completely new costume. And it would be, I suppose, really, I mean, just losing the scarf would have been an option. But for me, I felt that the scarf was so much part of Tom's personality as a doctor and also he used it as a prop. So to take that away would be removing something that he used. Um, And also I just felt that that was something... That we needed to keep so it was rather enlightened self-interest uh, <laughs> that was that was my decision because i thought there was quite a real danger too thinking a bit selfishly that he would actually use the old scarf with the new costume which uh. would not really um work very well so i designed just a scarf that was made in chenille wool in wonderful colors lovely rich colors you get in chenille. And also had the advantage, as it was such a very, very long scarf, of being light. I mean, Tom, being tall and powerfully built, could carry it easily. But, it, I mean, in wool, to be that length, it, it, it just is a weight. And a lighter scarf would certainly be easier to use. And so, and also the colours in chenille were absolutely beautiful at that time. And so I decided on chenille. So we ended up with that. Because originally, Tom had Stone. Asked me to sew the. T- I got a duplicate and Tom had asked me. He, said we, he saw the two scarves and he said, Sew them together. So we sewed the scarves together. So this was this ridiculously, immensely long <laughs> scarf, which Tom, being tall enough, of course, could, could easily wear. But that was, that was why it was so long.
0: Well, as well as wearing a new scarf, I mean, Dorka, you uh, were responsible for giving him another thing he, he was lumbered with for a couple of episodes, which was an intensely heavy-seeming. But brilliant um old man makeup.
1: Well, he was very good. I mean it took ages to to put all the latex on his face, and he never complained. He was fantastic, and um, really professional. and that's one thing. it's you're only as good as the actor allows you to be, because if somebody will not sit in a makeup chair um for you to latex their face and and dry it, you know it takes a long time to do that. Then uh, the makeup is not as good as it could be, but he was very good. He just went to sleep.
0: <laughs> you
1: know, and the, once you're done, oh, right, okay, I'm off now. And it was great. He was very, very professional.
0: But I mean, were you ever daunted? Because with, a, with a makeup like that, let's not forget this is the BBC, this is a low budget show. Oh, I mean,
1: definitely, yes, because you don't have the time. You know, there's so many other creatures and people that you have to do within the story, and it's not like you're only doing one person you as the as a designer you're doing Tom Baker, so you're doing all but you're also having to control every all the other looks of everyone else today the you have there's more money you have a lot more staff you have somebody who looks after crowd a, 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 an assistant a senior assistant who will look after crowd, so you don't have to worry about that in my day when we were first at the b b c that's we had to do it all you had to be doing fifteen other things. And they just um, yeah, so, so it it was very. Um, that yes, is
2: certainly true. I mean the long hours, that that Dork. I remember walking round the back to the scenery block one evening. It was very late, wasn't it? It was about eleven o'clock at night,
1: and they was up working. Then, yeah, yes, working the next on day. these
2: masks and things for the next day i mean the answer i mean of that's
1: life. the thing is with makeup dogs are huge
2: perfectionist. Uh,
1: well uh, with makeup that's that's the problem it's if it, you cannot take it out of a box you know with a lot of things like the aging if you're having to reshoot something tomorrow you have to do it exactly the same it must look as if it is in the, it's exactly the same so that you have a, a walking canvas mm. and people forget that and that walking canvas may, may not feel well tomorrow. Tomorrow they may come in and they may not. They may be tired. So you've got to cope with all of that. So that you try to. So you've got the added pressure to make everything quickly. But at the same time, you've. It, it takes as long as it takes. You cannot make something dry faster than it's going to dry. Because I always say, if when people say all oh, about, I say look these are hands they're not wands i can of <laughs> magic. if i could magic something i would be working in a hospital i'd be saving lives i wouldn't be doing makeup for a film however much i love it but if i could do that kind of power that i wouldn't be doing it you know i'd be you know so that's always the, the thing is that we can do what we can do and um on doctor who it was very tough because there was the time
0: but look, we have it on now and uh, we've been looking at it and it is one of the most impressive, visually the most impressive Doctor Who stories, I, I'd say. So how has it been look, looking at the, uh, at your own work?
1: Well, it is interesting after all these years. Mm. It's still, it, it, you it know... Is, uh,
2: it is, I am, I'm very happy with Lady Hive. but I, I absolutely loved it. I would say, almost say that, I mean, it's, it's like talk about your favorite. Who's your favorite child? I mean, I uh, when I look at it now, I would say it was my favorite, and uh, I think it worked. And working with Dorker, of course, is is magic as always.
1: There were fantastic actors. performances. Yeah. they were performances, amazing. You know, really. I mean, David um, Haig, of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, It's a great. But he's an oh, incredible great, actor. Great exactly. Yeah. Actor.
0: Um, well, how how much credit does because Love at Bickford never worked on Doctor Who again because he famously well, overspent no. on the leisure. Well, he
2: he was a. Um, I love at Bigfoot. I, I love working with him. I, I think he became hugely involved in the story, and I remember with the uh, Marcy, they I, I'd managed to devise um, a way that which Roger Oldenstead made the costume, with uh, a band around the head, with the eyes fixed to it, because the idea was that they were chameleons, so they could move their eyes in different directions. So that every time the actor moved his head inside, the head of the Fomasi, the eyes moved and swivelled on the end of these these <laughs> strange sort of pokey out eyes. And Lovett Bigford got too close because he wanted to have a huge close up of the eye peering through uh, at the, and I said hang on, no, but, you know, this is not a real eye, you know, and I'm not yeah. sure we can, you yes. know, however much, yeah. however yeah. cleverly it's made." You cut. You, you have to be careful about getting too close because the eyes were swivelling about. Mm. and Loved it because every time the actor moves his head, the eyes swivelled. Yeah, it's on. brilliant. I was delighted with that effect. It worked very well, but uh, of course, Lover, I, I, did try to say, don't get too close, Lover. But he was. He was lovely to work with. I, I very much enjoyed working with a perfectionist, as both yeah. myself and Dorker are. But then also working within the confines of a budget.
1: We, we didn't have the time. Oh, you, have no to finish. time you have You no have to money. finish by whatever time it was in the evening. Oh, yeah. And whether you and so therefore we couldn't go over things. Oh, you no. know I've, I you know I've been doing things for many many we both have for many many years and just to see the different ways that it has progressed oh, yes. how you know you can be doing a t- tiny piece of on a feature film f- f- you know you're taking a week to film a tiny slot at the BBC days, you'd be doing a whole episode in, in mm. one evening, and you you know it, it, it you cannot compare. You can't uh, I mean, you can't compare a Doctor Who of today with the Doctor Who that in in the eighties and nineties. You can well, I, wor-
2: um, I mean, I worked um, on the Leisure Hive as a designer. I mean, I had dresses, of course, but I didn't have an assistant. I mean, you just you just worked, I mean, at, at a hugely economical, I mean, when I look at productions nowadays, I just think, my goodness, they have a supervisor, they have a, I mean, I just look at the list, yeah. you know, it's fantastic, I mean, yeah. it is amazing what we did in those days. But the days. time, it's really and the there was time, no time
1: there, was just, there was just no time to do, the, if they couldn't, you know, there's little things that you do, which, you know, um, um where you wanted your monster or whatever to be shot they had no time to do that to show something moving that you perhaps you had some eyes that you said with the eyes moving they couldn't go tight or they went too tight because and they couldn't go back and reshoot it so that things were done which now if they were to reshoot that they could get make it look much better or whatever it was a time the but were no special, is that... there were no special effects very much
2: then i mean it was i think one of the magic things about doctor who of that period here is that they were real yeah and
1: I've, it was I done have... in the studios and that's what you got there was none of this um pre-shooting something and doing an, an effect on it electronically there was none of those kind of tricks that they do nowadays um, I mean, we had the blue screen, of course, yeah. the colour yeah, but separation that, yes, but, but, that was, but that was very. It was no. quite. Um,
2: but I've got a theory, and I may be wrong, but I think that our eyes see far more than we're consciously aware of, and I think that very often special effects can become wearying because they. I think in the person imagination knows yes. well. They yeah. know that, that it's just electronic, where yeah. all those monsters were actually made and all those effects that yeah. Dorca did on the head and the makeup and the hair were real. They weren't just superimposed electronically and I think in a way there was something about the reality mm-hmm. that they were actually three-dimensional, actually made. And I think this is the magic of the old series, that there was something very real and very magical about them because of that.
0: Well it's interesting because the next the, ne- the, the other story you, wor- you, you worked on many stories individually but the other story you worked on together was Logopolis which was yes. Tom Baker's last one and indeed the regeneration effect was now you would do that with CGI and Mixwell exactly. but that was very practical you exactly. had stages didn't you yeah. of going from that's Tom right. Baker to a, to the Watcher to yeah. Peter Davison well,
1: Half White. In the, in the story that that's what I said to the director is that I came in and I said I think he should be like a fetus is that there should be a point where it's the the watcher comes around and it's like it's it's the unformed um, doctor the new doctor that hasn't been born yet but he's like the spirit of the doctor haunting him to say your time is up for the new one to be born and so he's hovering about and so when you look at the white face he is like a fetal that was the whole like, but but I wasn't trying to be doing it an exactly fetus face but it was like this sort of n- weird face that was nothing you know and th- and it was a blankness, so that it was important that it was almost like he's invisible but visible you know what i mean there was that kind of a, a feeling of of the, the mask should be like this and so that when he dies when when um tom baker doctor who dies and then the Peter Davidson, it it blends in and it's born. So that there's a point where the, where they mix together, the genes mix together, and then the Peter Davidson doctor is is born out of that. It could have been done much better nowadays with all the tricks that they had. But I think for what it was of the time, I think it, it worked very well. Still, one
0: of the most memorable things from my yeah. childhood. So don't yeah. worry. Exactly.
1: <laughs> you know, so for what we could do at the time, I think it it worked very well.
0: And we were you aware that it was? I mean, this was the end of Tom Baker's well, reign, was, you know. But it was,
2: and also there was no money left. Ah. because they'd spent <laughs> they'd spent all the money on Jodelle Bank, no, the, mm. the the model, and it and the and John Nathan Turner said, "Well, there's no money." And so, actually, this is the strange thing: the the two programmes we're talking about, the costumes from the Leisure Hive, not all of them, but most of them were used again on Lagopolis because the the yellow robes I attempted to dye in the laundry and they would not because that dylon stuff uh, would not work on this okay, polyester dye, <laughs> yeah. it would not work on this polyester mm-hmm. jersey which I'd used
1: which was a wonderful cheap stuff for a place in Berwick Street.
2: And I'd, I'd, in the end I had to get it dyed professionally, but it went a funny mustard colour. Which was good enough, and then I knew I had to make it look different. So they had little black velvet capes, mm. which went on top, and it actually worked very well. So they are rege- so it was a regeneration again. It was a regeneration. It was <laughs> not only of 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 course of of Tom and Peter Davison, but also a regeneration of the costumes into the new ones and would it have
0: been, been you Dorka or, or do you, who? because John Fraser's in it and you've sort of got a little brain poking out of the top of his head would that have been would you have been no, that's, that's that would mean, have been yeah. you yeah
1: you know. I mean they all they all had these weird shapes everybody had these these brains they were mm. meant to be their brains because they're all into figures mm. It was numbers and things that's right and so it was the idea was that they were like monks and they were in their little um little igloos if you like and and this is all that they did was their figures and so that was all they were was just a brain and so then i'd have the beards and, and the hair and stuff so that all of those um, people they all had the same look they were the, that kind of um yeah mathematicians yeah de- devotees of mathematics yeah yeah, exactly. yeah
0: so well let's steer away from dr temporarily because um I th- I think whenever we talk to people, never people from Doctor Who are spoken to, they're always spoken to about just Doctor Who and there's more to you than that. So I'm interested in how you came to be at, at at the BBC and indeed how you came to do what it was you did for a living. So maybe, Dork, you start because obviously you came came from Poland originally.
1: Yes, I was um, born in Poland with a Scottish mother. and um, I ca- But I came here when I was a child. My mother wanted to come home um, from Poland. And um, I've always wanted to do makeup, and I was I was always an imaginative child, so I knew it would be something to do with writing or something that I would settle for. And I remember being at school and the teacher going around saying, "So what did you all want to be?" And I remember saying, "I wanted to be a makeup artist in in television." And I remember all the ch- the, the, the children all started laughing because. Up in Scotland, where I came from, it was another, it's like saying I'm from another planet, you know. Um, Most people want to be air hostesses or or, um, nurses. Um, And so so I always knew what I wanted to do, what kind of a line of work I wanted. Um, When I was at school, I wrote to the BBC just saying, Look, what do I need to do to be a makeup artist? And they said, Go to art college or be a hairdresser. So that was what I did. Is I left school and I went to art college, um, and then I decided that really I didn't want to spend four years at art college, so I just did my foundation year. And I thought, no, I, I want to do something else. So I thought, right, I'll do the hairdressing part now. So then I went for two years to the hairdressing college and became a hairdresser. Then I kept writing to the BBC. Again, they had no vacancies. Um, because they only took in 10 people per year. So my next step was to work in the theatre, because, that, again, I, was, I loved the theatre. So I was fortunate in getting um, a job as a dresser at um, the National the- Theatre. And that's when, in fact, I worked as, a, as an, a, a, an assistant in the wardrobe at the National Theatre when I met Tom Baker. Mm-hmm. So it's weird how years later I should actually make him up on Doctor Who. But that was a wonderful. Um, I loved working in the theatre. Um, I was fortunate to work because, as as a dresser, you sort of travelled around. You, you you did. You might somebody might hire you for one show here, and then I would be at the London Palladium, and another. I might be at Drury Lane, Covent Garden. So it. I just loved the opera part, the ballet. You could do so many things, and um, and in the end, I, I was given a job as. Um, wardrobe mistress at the Young Vic, and that's where I was working as a, a wardrobe mistress for the. I did the costumes. In fact, I arranged all the making of all the costumes, and it was all my cutters and things for Josephine's Technicolor Dream coat. Wow! So that was, and we went to the Roundhouse, and we went to the Edinburgh Festival with that. Um, so it was a fantastic training for anybody, and I I, I wish that people uh, you know. The, the young people of today could get those kind of opportunities um, and then to be, while I was at the Young Vic, I got a, a, a ch- um, the job of being a trainee for the BBC for, for makeup, and again, three months of intensive training, then you were a trainee for three years at the BBC but that meant that a designer could come and use you on any production that they were doing and. So you would be, you'd one minute you'd be doing a drama, the next minute you'd be doing pole dark, you'd be doing some um, black white minstrel show. You know, there's just such a volume of stuff. The training was just superb. You, it it tickled all your boxes if you liked. You thought, oh, this I was in heaven. I loved all of that lifestyle. You don't have that now, unfortunately. There's n- there isn't a BBC like that. Where they train you, where they, they nurture they look after you, all the designers assistants we would all share our knowledge. people were very generous, they weren't competitive in the same way as they are now um, I, I you know when when I'm asked to 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 give lectures and things and i I, I, I just wish that I could take people to these kind of experiences, but it's it's, it's it doesn't exist
0: no. I mean. And, and and June, your your well, journey s- to, a, to a similar place. I well,
2: guess. I started in television at ATV at Elstree uh, when it was black and white, when it was monochrome television, uh, where I worked on all sorts of productions. Emergency Ward 10 was one of them where we had to... Have, where the coats had to be quite a dark green colour to come out white. So it was always a, a big problem, the colour there. <laughs> and I also did Tom Jones' first television where... It was a thing called bedtime was Braden. I think he was on oh, first. Okay. Um, uh, that is, I remember it. If somebody who <laughs> looks it up, a Chris, but he was introduced as a young Welsh singer, and he wanted to see me because he didn't know whether to wear a black roll neck sweater or a white roll neck sweater. I said, well, you can't have white because of the problem of oh, glaring. So he he settled for black, and I got a lift back to London because I lived in London. This was out at Elstree. And it was his manager, and I said, "What a lovely car!" And he said, "Yes." He said, "It is nice." He said, um, "He said, well, he said, I, he said, I've, i put a lot into this." He said, "I do hope," he said, "he makes it, as I mortgage my house." <laughs> yeah. So, so that was uh, that was the early sixties. And that, I think that mortgage was paid off a long time I ago. Think it must have been, but then I, I after being there for about three years, I, I did a lot of comedy programs there too, and uh, I was, I worked on Sergeant Cork, and then, uh, then I moved to the BBC, and which was my aim because I, I did want to work at the BBC very much, and I remember being on the the train at Shepherd's Bush, looking out of the window and seeing the television centre and thinking to myself, one day I'm going to go through those gates, and, which indeed I did, on the 3rd of January 1966. And those were the great years of television, I think the 60s, 70s and 80s were, the, and particularly I think the 70s, mm-hmm. 80s, they mm-hmm. were terrific years at the BBC. And funnily enough, um, I ended up... Um, Doing stuff, being the first design on EastEnders when the BBC had bought the ATV studios at Elstree, huh. so it was full circle. <laughs> I went back there, and that was it. Was strange? It was it was very strange. So I, I thought, Gosh, I've come back a full circle.
0: Was uh, there a lot right I mean, do, we take EastEnders for granted now. It's part of the, the 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 you know the television timetable. Was 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 that the aim? I mean, was there an awareness that this was something that was there for the long haul?
2: Yes. The, they had actually bought the studios, I was told, for EastEnders, to house EastEnders, which was a huge gamble for the BBC. And they also said um, that they were thinking actually of it being middle class and calling it Laburnum Avenue. Oh. And it was really a, a late decision for it to be set in the East End. Oh. And it was, it was because of Julia Smith's. And her partner, who... Tony Holland. Uh, yes, who, Tony Holland, and to set it in the East End. And that was a fairly um, last-minute thing, really, which I was quite surprised. Because mm. it was, for a long time, going to be sort of set in the Bourbon Avenue with... with uh, uh, now, who is that? Something in June... Terry and June. June, like Terry and June, yeah. ter- uh, sort of territory, sort of thing. But of course, it it, it ended up. But it was that was an, an exciting thing to do. I had about three months research in the East End, and it was an eye opener, really. I mean, people there were were had different. I mean, you knew that when you went into the East End, it was a, it was a very very different atmosphere. It was a, a, it was a different customs, different clothes. I mean, it was a whole different world there, where where people... I mean, I used to walk um, through the markets, and I often used to see people with lots of, of gold jewellery, lots of bling, lots of, of expensive clothes that went down about as far as the knees. And there was one lady I saw that was very dressed up, except she had flip-flops and no tights. And I said to her, what um, why why aren't your legs cold, (laughs) aren't you, well, she said, nobody's going to see that, so it was all this, this (laughs) huge thing, and and that was something that I, and also the fact that I based, um, my work on, uh, my costumes on observation of going into various parts of markets, um, the Ridley Road Ritz was in one of the poorer markets, um, and the people there that were sweeping up were actually quite smartly dressed in a bright red jumper and newish jeans. It's something that is bugs me a bit sometimes in drama that sometimes we follow art rather than follow life. Because, in fact, the, the the tradition is to put an old donkey jacket and a pair of old boots on somebody sweeping up the market when often the opposite was the truth. Mm. But it wouldn't work dramatically, mm. so right you so we'll have to cheat way. reality yeah you do in order to be real, in order yeah. To it's be like real. In, yeah
1: it's like with, yeah it's like with me with with makeup the times that i've had um people coming in like extras and they've got like there was one guy who had the most amazing red beard and yet his hair was dark but this is a real person but you'd you'd say hold on we cannot let him be filmed because it will look like we've stuck on this. Red people and say, "What's happened? Look, they've stuck." So I actually had to say to the assistant, "Look, could you run a little bit of dark colour into his beard so that you could echo the colour of his hair, so that then you made it real?" But the guy was had a red beard, yeah. but it, on camera it looked so false that we had to cheat reality. Well, I see by incorporating. Well it's like, isn't it,
2: archetypes. In like King King, Queen, Jack. I mean, you knew you knew with archetypes that if you've got a pack of cards, um, it's King, Queen, Jack. I mean, if you said to somebody Queen you you wouldn't necessarily think of arch I think you would think of a Queen on a pack of playing cards or a king. So these are archetypes, these are clearly identifiable characters and we often work in archetypes and what mm. Dorker yeah. said you need to work in a nice coach. Sometimes reality doesn't come over as reality. It comes over as bizarre. Mm. Yeah. Well,
0: you so, need a shorthand as well, don't you? You need a shorthand. Well,
1: it? short yeah. uh, you know, it's like a tan. You, you've got somebody who has a tan. But in reality, for instance, if you see a golfer... Now, if you're if you're being correct about a golfer... Where, if you were to do a makeup for somebody who's playing a golfer, you would give one of his hands, the hand that he puts his glove on, would be paler than the rest of his. But you never do that because they go, oh, look, look, she's forgotten to make up his hand. But no, the golfer wears his gloves, so therefore he never gets it burnt. You know, so just certain things that. The reality, but you put it. Put you, but it would take it,
0: the audience out of it, unconsciously.
1: Because the, you, unless you have a thing saying no, the makeup has not made a mistake. <laughs> if you look at a real golfer in real life, one of his hands will be lighter than the other because he wears a golfing glove for most of the time that he, and when the sun is shining. So it's just things like that, or the fact that you are washing your hands constantly, so you're shedding the skin of your hands, so that your hand automatically is lighter than your face anyway. But if you have that with somebody in real, they go, look, they've forgotten to make up his mm. hands. But you go, no, that's how it is. We have to disguise the truth in order to portray yeah. it. There's a lot of programmes now about, did you notice, did you see that yeah. mistake? Did you meet, oh, see there that is. continuity yeah. mistake? So, yes.
0: So
2: oh, there's there a are whole industry. industry. Yes. Yeah.
1: Exactly. Of, of, we, we
2: hope, we hope uh, any mistake one might make or omission does not end up. <laughs> on that, Luckily, <laughs> that i are fairly lucky in that respect but it is yeah. certainly a hazard yeah. isn't it yeah. Yeah. But
0: it's interesting when we're talking about shorthand for knowledge I'm thinking about a Doctor that you did it's it was June, did June, June that did Megalos I did Meg So, Meg Meg. so you had that shorthand of you'd got the scientists who all had the blonde wigs and that's the right, white yeah. costumes and the, 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 and the Jacqueline Hill in... and her lot who all wore flowing robes well,
2: that's and right and also the, 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 the people the, the leading man in that um you tell me
0: who is. Well, uh, uh, Bill Fraser or uh, done Underday.
2: Because Bill Fraser was one of the gang that were looking for metal. Yeah. And at the time there was a popular kind of jewellery um, in, the seven, in the early 80s that was called nail art. And it was slightly hippie. And it was jewellery made of nails, which in fact I still have. One of the, the things, because I bought it actually in the market, it was a necklace Made of nails, a big decorative necklace made of nails and tacks, and that was one of the things I put on Bill phrase One of the things that he'd found. but I found old hubcaps, everything because they covered yeah, themselves yeah. in the, in this metal, mm-hmm. and that was tremendous fun. That one, I I enjoyed my glass very much.
0: And uh, but you you'd come to Doctor Who actually prior to that with um the, the your first one was the Rebus operation
2: yes um
0: where you'd got this sort of very Ruritanian it was look Russian, yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, doing snow scenes all inside, so you you're having the to. Director George Fenton Foster. George
2: Sventon Foster. I mean, he was mad about Russia, and it was it had a Russian feel about it. So I went for broke and went for the full Russian experience. I was very fortunate that Berman's had quite a big stock of rather glamorous and romantic bits and pieces that I could actually fashion. And and get that very rich Russian look without spending a huge amount of money. It did look very expensive. I'm happy to say, but our budgets were were very restricted. They were absolutely tiny. I mean, you had. I think in some ways, it can be an advantage to have a low budget because you do have to use your imagination. Uh, yeah. Where yes, yeah. that's
1: that, it is exciting. It, uh, as long as you are not then judged along. The, with, against with a multi-million some exactly yeah. you know Star Wars or whatever you, you, we're not in that kind of we never were in that kind of um, competition you know it, it is what it is you are given and therefore you are allowed to use your, your imagination but you'd be you know you would be making things out of you know to have a pair of gym shoes which for the frog you'd be attached making toes of a frog and stuff but it's a gym shoe you're not getting away from the fact that that's all you can afford well you we cannot had to be incredibly you creative yeah, you cannot me. afford to actually have cast of the actor's feet then model on the frog's toes and whatever you cannot there's just not the money mm. there's not the money and there's not the time so that you then have to pre-make something that right he's got a size eight shoe so therefore I can now get on and model on top of that the shape of the frog's foot. So that I know that when he comes in, it will fit him and we film it. That's well, and,
0: and talking of frogs, you had another um, thing that people might not realise is a, is a stumbling block when it comes to doing your work. Is that you had to turn a famous actor, Stratford Johns, into exactly. a frog.
1: And the instructions are, he is a fine actor, we are paying a lot of money for him, we need to see who he is. And so immediately you are then having to make him into a humanoid frog and not into the creature that you would like to do, because they need to see, not just by his voice, because he had a very, you know, you could recognize his voice anywhere, but it was also to see that that's Stratford John. You, You knew exactly that that's who it is.
0: And yet, you had the opposite problem at the other end of that season, which is Peter Davison's first season uh, with *Time Flight*, where you had to disguise Anthony Ainley as a as a magician to hide the fact that it that was the master.
1: the master. Exactly, that's right. But that was fine because you were disguising a creature, a, a character within the storyline. You were not disguising the actor that's playing it. Mm-hmm. You know, so so um, you were not taken because once it became unravelled that he is the master, then. We we knew you know so yeah uh, well you know, Auntie Ailey, um, I worked with in Dombey and Son,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and he came. He always credited me with him being the master because he came up to my office at the BBC and he was in the building and he said, "What are you doing, June?" And I said, "Oh, I'm doing Doctor Who." He said, "Doctor Who?" He said, "Do you know?" He said, "I've never done a Doctor Who." He said, "I must get on to my agent." And ages later, he came back up to He said, "Do you know?" He said. I, he said, i got the job as the master. He mm-hmm. said, Isn't well, that a lovely brilliant? man he yeah. was? Such oh, he man. was so gorgeous, Anthony. I yeah, yeah. so enjoyed lovely. working with him. I was very, very yeah. jealous that Amy Roberts got the job of designing his costume. Right. Uh, because we, Amy and I, I did one, she did two, I did three, she did four. Um, because the BBC wouldn't. Yeah, that was season allow... 18, wasn't it? You alternated, yes. yeah. We alternated because. I mean, I was very fortunate to work with such a, a very talented designer as Amy Roberts, who's done some very good shows since. Um, but the b, b, initially, the BBC, well, it refused to allow um, John Nathan uh, to... Oh, John Nathan, Tom, John yeah. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> um, John Na- they refused to allow John Nathan Turner to have one designer because he wanted me to do the whole lot with an assistant to design it uh, the whole thing that the BBC wouldn't allow it
0: so two charities but there are two episodes of this because as you all note uh, we didn't conclude our interview because the ladies have plenty more to say so I will continue with them in the next edition, so uh, maybe choose one of their charities for this edition and one of their charities for the next. But I'll let you know that Dorka nominated The Haven Trust, which is the breast cancer charity at The Haven, all one word, all small case, thehaven.org.uk. Whereas June wasn't specific, but wanted one for animals, maybe even donkeys abroad. Uh, And I think the best place to go for that is a web page I found called donkeycharities.co.uk. That's donkeycharities, all one word, .co.uk. And that um, has... Some charities from different parts of the world, and some that deal with uh, more animals than just donkeys. So then you can you can choose, because she wasn't particularly specific. So uh, choose one or both of those if you can. Um, more from June and Dorka because this is a long and fascinating chat uh, next time. Um, in the meantime, uh, this is Toby Haddock. You can follow me on Twitter at Toby Haddock, T-O-B-Y-H-A-D-O-K-E. And uh, we'll continue ploughing through. There aren't many left of my 2013 quest. Thanks very much.
1: May I ask you a question?
0: Of course. Goodbye.
1: No, wait... The question.
0: You just asked it. You said, may I ask you a question?
1: That was not
0: the question. You want to ask another question? Humans are so imprecise.
2: Coming soon from Big Finish Productions, Jago and Lightfoot and Strax. Right, lads, this is the place. Is the house really haunted, Inspector? I gather there have been three other brainless bodies found in the last few weeks. You mean, this
1: is the fourth? Your brain is suitable. My... sorry? You will be.
0: What was that? Just the wind, probably. Spectral creatures, show yourselves. Surrender now and your death will be swift. ghosts, spooks, specters. The supernatural, paranormal, uncanny, and just plain downright weird.
1: Yeah, I I try to explain, but he insists you, Professor, are the great detective Madame Vastra. And he thinks Mr. Jago here is an housemaid called Jenny. And he thinks you're both married. Of course.
0: You mean he thinks we've got husbands?
1: Not exactly. Then what exactly? He thinks you're married to each other. What heavens above!
2: Big finish. We love stories.
1: Mind you, he thinks I'm a bloke.